Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast, featuring indie and small press authors with host Emma Polova. Our guest today is a true crime author, Rod Sadler, a former police officer of 30 years. Sadler served in different capacities during his career, from investigations all the way to his promotion to sergeant in 1999. Then he served as a patrol supervisor until his retirement in 2012. Welcome, Rod. Well, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. As a police officer, when did you discover your love for writing? Tell us all about that. Uh, I actually, late in my career, I went back to uh, finish my college uh, degree in, well, I initially got a degree uh, early in my career, an associate degree, and I wanted a bachelor's degree. So I went back in uh, the late years of my career, got that bachelor's degree. And while I was doing that, uh, part, of our, um, part of our curriculum included a lot of writing uh, okay. rather than physical tests. And I, I became enamored with it. I just loved it. I loved the fact that we had to write papers uh, and that's how it all started. I realized that I really enjoyed writing. Okay. Now let's talk about your new release, Killing Women, about Lansing area serial killer Don Miller. In your new book, you examine the crimes, the justice, met it out, and the possibility that Miller could be unleashed on the world once again. Due to changes in Michigan law, Miller is allowed to seek parole once a year. When and why did you decide to write this true crime story from 1978 into a book? I decided to, to put it into the form of a book about three or four years ago, and I was uh, searching for a, a new book idea. I had written two previous books, uh, both true crime genre. And I really enjoyed it. And I knew that, that there had never been a book written uh, about Don Miller where it actually used the actual names um, and described the crimes and everything that went on during that investigation. And when I decided to write about, uh, about this case, I realized that I knew many, many of the people involved in it, including... Uh, everyone from the first police officer who took the first missing person report all the way up to Don Miller's own defense attorney. I knew probably 75 to 80 percent of the people involved in this case. And so they were a, a very, very valuable resource for me when I wrote this. And so that's how it all kind of transpired and, and came about. And uh, it just it really has been a um, a challenge because uh, the the purpose for the book, in addition to telling the, the story of the victims, is the fact that Don Miller will get out of prison in 2031. He will have served his time and people have forgotten who Don Miller is. People have forgotten what Don Miller did. And people need to know that in 2031, Don Miller's getting out of prison and he could be your next door neighbor. Okay, that's scary. 
That's a yeah. scary fact. It is. It is a scary fact. And and even worse than that, Emma, is the fact that he was just up for parole this year. And because there's new legislation pending, he could be up for parole as quickly as next year and each subsequent year up to his release date. Rather than every five years, he could be eligible for parole every year for the next nine years until he gets out. And that's scary, too, because he could be out as early as next year with that pending legislation. And that's scary, too. Do you think people have forgotten completely? I mean, it was all over the newspapers. In your book, you have clips from the newspapers. I mean, it was everywhere. Uh, do you think it probably made even the national news, I assume? It, it was everywhere. And I think the, the important part was that up to the time that that book was published, people had forgotten. They had forgotten about it. Yeah, they, they knew they knew the name. Um, older people, I, I say older, uh, my age uh, and older, um, they knew who he was. But there was there's been four generations since those murders. So anybody younger than than me, uh, younger than sixty years old, um, didn't never heard of Don Miller, and that's frightening too. So what was your connection to the investigation? Huh. Actually, I had no uh, real connection to the investigation myself as a police officer. Um, early in my career, uh, I began um, in law enforcement and, and I would meet attorneys and police officers and judges and, and I became friends with them. And over the years, um, I fostered those relationships. We talked about that earlier. Um, I fostered those relationships and maintained those relationships. And when I realized that I was going to do the book about Don Miller, mm -hmm. uh, I started looking at the people involved in the case. And I, and I thought to myself, I know most of these people. They're friends of mine. And so I began asking them about, um, about the Miller case. And they shared every bit of information that they had, uh, again, from the original police officer right up to uh, the prosecuting attorney at the time, um, and uh, even Don Miller's own defense attorney, who I knew. So you had absolutely no problem in getting access to all these materials. Well, no, I, I had um, some contacts that, that had kept all of the police reports, um, and they provided those to me with no problem. Um, I did uh, send a freedom of information request to the East oh, yeah. Lansing Police Department, oh, yeah. and I got all of their files, too. And that was very helpful. And then uh, in the uh, files that were provided to me through the Eaton County Prosecuting Attorney's Office, there was also crime scene photos, um, which I received permission to put those into the book also. Okay. So what resources of info did you use? Can you name all of them? I know we talked about some of the newspapers. 
of sure. uh, the sheriff or the prosecutor's office? Sure. What else? The, um, the police reports that I received also had um, court files, uh, court transcripts. Okay. Uh, I also used uh, the internet resources uh, like newspapers.com. Um, I even used a little bit of Ancestry.com um, just to try to find out uh, family members' names, things like that. Um, I looked at Don Miller's prison records. And incidentally, I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but uh, I also received um, four letters from the killer. Um, I read that in the book. It's at the end of the book I read. There's one letter from him, and that was my next question. How did you, I mean, how did you connect with him that he wrote you a letter? Well, I, I was able to um, make a connection with his dad through his attorney, uh, again, who I knew. Uh, Tom Bengston was his name, and, and Tom, rest his, his soul, he's passed away since the book has been published. But uh, he introduced me to Don's dad. And Don's dad was as an elderly man. He's in his high 80s and uh, just the nicest guy. And um, and I asked him flat out, I said, Gene, I said, do you think Don would talk to me face to face? And he said, no, he said, I don't think that he will, but I'll ask him if he'll write you a letter. And the next time we met, he said, yeah, Don's going to write you a letter. And of course, I thought, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And uh, subsequent to that, I got four separate letters from him. And the second letter uh, was actually a letter where he explained what was going through his mind in the mid seventies when he was on this killing spree and killed four women. Um, and I'll just add this as a little side note because everybody always gets a chuckle out of it. My wife was less than impressed about this and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Well, I am impressed. Of course, I'm a former journalist. Oh, I'm, sure. still, I'm still a journalist, always a journalist. I'm impressed oh, that well, you could you. obtain letters from him. Yes. How long did it take you to research and then to write this book? It was about a two-year process. That's typically what it takes me to put together a, a book that that I would consider um, something that I'd want other people to read. Um, I had all the materials in front of me. The biggest part was really deciding how much to put in. And, and we spoke before we started here, uh, and I'll just mention it again, the fact that the book actually was uh, almost 600 pages and my publisher told me I had to cut some out. It was too long. Well, it'll make a nice sequel perhaps. Yes, perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps it will. Yes. Okay. How did you structure your book? What did you start off with? Well, I want to start off all of my books uh, because they're all true crime and they're all Michigan based true crime. Um, and I like to start those off with uh, almost at the end of the book and work backward. Um, and I'll give you a, just a quick example. Um, because I know we're limited on time, but uh, as a police officer, I did traffic crash uh, reconstructions. And the way that a, a, a police officer reconstructs a traffic crash is they start from the end and they work backwards. They figure out how fast a car was going after impact 
in order to figure out how fast it was going prior to impact. And so using that same, um, I guess, thought process, when I put together my books, I like to begin at the end and yeah. work backward. Yeah. And, it, and in this case, with Killing Women, uh, I began with where they uh, actually had made the deal, uh, the plea deal with the killer, and he was leading them to the bodies. Okay. And you also, you end the book with um, Miller not getting paroled. That's correct. Um, what happened uh, was Miller was actually, due to a plea deal, he was ready to get out of prison in the late 90s. And they caught him with a garrote in his prison dorm. And a garrote, for those of you that don't know, a garrote is a strangulation device. It is purely an offensive weapon. It's not a defensive weapon. Um, it is a dangerous weapon. And Miller was caught with that. And he never denied owning it. Uh, he said it was his. Uh, he claimed that it came from uh, a coat, uh, uh, like a waistband or a tie thing on the bottom of a coat where you would cinch it up around you. Mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. um, he was never charged with that crime. Um, criminally. He was charged administratively through the prison system and they took his good time away and he was due to get out in the late 90s. He had served his time for the plea bargain and the rape of a 14-year-old girl. And when they caught him with that uh, garrote, the Eaton County prosecuting attorney, Jeff Sauter, um, discovered that and realized that he hadn't been charged with it criminally. And so uh, Miller was doing time up in um, Sault Ste. Marie at, at that time, and that's where he possessed it. And so Jeff Sauter, <coughs> excuse me, uh, went up there and convinced the Chippewa County prosecuting attorney to charge Miller with that offense of possessing a dangerous weapon inside the prison. And that went to trial and Miller was convicted not only of possessing that dangerous weapon, but also being a habitual offender. And because he was convicted as a habitual offender, that allowed the judge to go outside the sentencing guidelines and knowing what Miller's past was, the judge sentenced him to an additional 20 to 40 years in prison. Mm -hmm. So I guess the important part of that, and people don't realize this, is that Don Miller is not in prison for murder. Don Miller is not in prison for rape. Don Miller only remains in prison right now for possessing a garrote in his prison dorm. And once he served that time, he's getting out. So that has kind of changed the whole story, right? It has. Uh, it has changed the whole story. And that, that story continues to change with that pending legislation. Mm -hmm. if, if that goes through and Miller is allowed a parole hearing each year for the next nine or 10 years until he served his time, that potential for him to get out every year exists. And those remaining victims, those two victims that were teenagers at the time when he raped her and tried to kill her 13-year-old brother, they have to relive that every year now if that legislation goes through. That's horrible. It is extremely horrible. Uh, and I asked 
Um, I asked someone uh, familiar with the pending legislation. I said, what about the victims? People have forgotten about the victims. And I was told that it doesn't matter. No, I'm not impressed. That's sad. It, it's it matters. It matters. And so that I guess that uh, really um, reinforces the importance of the book, again, because people have forgotten who Don Miller is, what he did, and they need to know that he's getting out. So that pretty much answers my next question about the major takeaways from your book. That's the major that is the major takeaway. Yes. That the possibility of getting out of prison next year. Next year. Next year. And each subsequent year. And each subsequent until 2031. And that's when he will be released. He will have served all of his time. A serial killer. Yes. Yes. In Michigan. In Michigan. In Lansing area. Yes. yes. Okay, your upcoming events. Any upcoming events you have scheduled? I do. I, do. I have a, a, a book signing uh, or book event at uh, uh, Dead Time Stories Bookstore in Lansing at 1132 South Washington. Uh, Jen Carpenter has opened a, a new uh, bookstore which is all true crime, um, anything you can think of, serial killers, uh, rapists, uh, bank robbers, everything. It's all true crime. And it really, I think that it's going to be a huge draw to the Lansing area. I think it's going to be a destination for people. Uh, it's already started being because she also hosts a podcast, uh, the So Dead podcast, and it's all true crime. And so I have an event there uh, just before Halloween on October 30th. And then I'll have a, uh, a, a book event at the uh, Women's Expo uh, in February in Lansing at the Lansing Center. Good. That's good to hear that these independent bookstores are popping up. Oh, yeah. The resurrection yeah. of the independent bookstores. All right, Rod, would you like to read to us? Oh, um, you know what? Uh, I would, and I have to apologize. Um, I thought you were going to read to me. <laughs> okay, I can read. Tell me what do you want me to read. Let I'll me turn you. on my light. I can read. Uh, how about uh, a... Tell very, me what you want me to read. How about a very small portion of the letter? The letter. From, from Don Miller to me. Okay. I read it. I read it twice. That's how impressed I was. It's oh. at the end of the book, right? Yes. Read it, read it. I, I read it twice. How come I can't find it? It should be right at the very end. It's at the... I think it's the postscript. It's called the postscript? Yes. Okay, I'm looking. I'm looking. Bear with me. I'm glad I have the book. 
Otherwise, we wouldn't have a reading. Well, that's we right. Have a reading. It's called the postscript. Postscript. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I read it twice. Okay, I'm going to have to go to the. I wish I was ready for this. Well, no, that's fine. I got a postscript. Got it. Got it. We have some time. Oh, good. good. We do have some time. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. The pictures first. Okay. It comes after the pictures. Okay. I thought it was before the pictures. Okay. Postscript. On May 4th, 2019, the author received the following letter from Don Miller. With Don Miller's permission, it's reproduced here in its entirety. Don Miller, I am ashamed and grieved over my sins 1977 to 78 that led me to being incarcerated. I write the following, hoping it will give insight and help people to deal with themselves or others, certain factors taken together will give insight and help. Prior to my engagement to Martha Young, we dated for over a year. Said dating was bipolar, either whether up, good, or very down, heart-wrenching. The down moments consisted of Martha blaming me for something, but then going silent and not wanting to communicate and work through it. This silence and non-communication hurt me deeply, especially with my flaw to repress these hurts with its anger and frustration. Thus, I was stuffing it and subsequently stockpiling the anger frustration, another factor that went into with my flaw of repression was to think that love between a couple can conquer all and prevail. I let this immaturity of mine lead me to ignore my repression and what it was doing to me week after week. After a year of such dating, I proposed marriage to Martha Young and she said yes. For the next two weeks, approximately, things were wonderful. Yet, in retrospect, I see the factors of her and my behavior had not been dealt with. Martha continued to periodically get upset, go silent one to two, four days, and not want to communicate and work through these issues. While I continued to repress such hurts, with anger and frustration, and my unrealistic concept of just put up with it in love, which fueled my repression and stockpiling corresponding anger inside of me. Untreated, I could, like a blocked steam pipe, only stockpile so much anger, frustration, and over two to three years of accumulation via repression, I exploded like a blocked steam pipe on Martha Young and wrongfully took her life. While at the same time crying out, the pain must stop. It's important for people that read the letter 
to understand what Don Miller did and how he got caught. Um, Don Miller had, uh, very briefly, he had killed four women and they had only found one body. And then he uh, uh, broke into a home in Eaton County's Delta Township and he raped a 14 year old girl. And when he was done raping her, he sat on her back with her hands tied behind her back and took this little plastic belt from her shorts and wrapped it around her neck and began to strangle her. That belt, as she began to lose consciousness, that belt snapped into two pieces. And at that exact instant, her brother walked into the house, her 13-year-old brother. Don Miller turned his attention to the brother, took him upstairs, tried to cut his throat, stabbed him, choked him to the point of unconsciousness, while at the same time, the 14-year-old teenager girl ran from the house naked with her hands tied behind her back out into traffic to get help. Now, the reason that I bring that up is because in Don Miller's letter, where he talks about taking the lives of four women, he never once in that entire letter mentions why he was in prison. And he was in prison for raping a 14-year-old girl. He never mentions that rape. And I think that that's significant. I, I think that Don Miller, uh, uh, he uses the excuse of murdering the three additional women after he murdered his fiance. He uses the excuse that those were copycat murders. He would see a woman and it would remind him of Martha Sue Young. And so he took out his anger on them and killed them. Um, it, kind of fantasizing that that was Martha Sue Young. Now, I think that the reason he doesn't mention the, uh, the rape of the 14-year-old girl is because that doesn't fit with his scenario of being a copycat type situation. In other words, he can't say, oh, this 14-year-old girl reminded me of my 23 or 24-year-old fiance that I murdered. You see where I'm going with yes, that? Yes, I do. It yes, doesn't, I do. It doesn't just fit. doesn't fit his story, his storyline. It, it doesn't fit his signature or mm -hmm. his MO, and that's why he doesn't mention it. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at this. A leopard doesn't change his spots. Right. Yeah. That is true. How did the police make the connection uh investigating uh when ha this happened to the two teenagers with the four women the, well, how did they connect the, these cases when she ran from the house uh she ran into traffic and there were two vehicles coming in opposite directions one of those drivers took her into his vehicle to protect her the other driver uh, pulled into the driveway and confronted Don Miller as he came out of the house. And Don Miller ran past him, was able to get into his car and, and flee. But the witness got his license plate number. And when the police checked the license plate number, they already knew who Don Miller was. He was the prime suspect in the disappearance of his girlfriend, um, whose body they hadn't found yet. 
So then they began to make the connection. Hey, um, if he's involved in this, then he's probably involved in the other three missing women in the Lansing area also. And this all happened in 1978. Yes, actually, Martha Sue Young came up missing on New Year's morning of 1977. And then it was about 18 months later when um, Marita Choquette came up missing. She was an employee at MSU. And, on the, and then two weeks later, her body was found out by Okemos. And on the same day that her body was found, another co-ed at MSU came up missing. And police weren't convinced that there was any foul play involved in her disappearance because um, she was kind of a free spirit. And then uh, about four weeks later, six weeks later, uh, a school teacher in Lansing was walking near Frandor, was walking home and came up missing. And then two days later, Miller broke into the home in Delta Township and raped the 14-year-old girl. So this all occurred over about an 18-month um, oh, period. Okay, so it was easy for the police to tie together. Yeah, yeah. I think once they had his license plate number, they put the heat on and, and uh, they actually did not connect. They didn't have any physical evidence to connect him to Marita Choquette or Wendy Bush's disappearance, but they did have enough to connect him to Martha Sue Young's and Christine Stewart, who was the school teacher, because uh, a passing witness saw him, literally saw him stabbing her. And they had to hypnotize that witness to bring out the details of that. So what did you find the most challenging in this whole process, researching to writing? What was the most challenging of all the factors that go into putting together a book? Um, probably trying to, to narrow down what to put in there because there was so much, uh, there was so much material um, with the court files, the police reports, the, the prison records, um, the, psych, the psychological uh, testing reports, um, the court transcripts. There was so much to put in there. Um, that that was the hardest part. I mean, I knew I could put the, the crime in, but, but beyond the crime, you know, what should I include? And I think that was in this particular case, that was the hardest part. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Steve Jobs said that the most important part is what to leave out. Yeah, what to leave out. How to make a decision out of the huge amount of info, what do you leave out? That is exactly right. Yeah. All right, Rod, would you like to give us the details of your giveaway? Uh, I have a copy of Killing Women uh, available. And uh, for the first person that emails me this afternoon at Rod Sadler Author at gmail.com, they will receive a signed copy of Killing Women. Excellent. Okay, before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors, Dot Chavent and Digital Quill Services for Writers with author Colleen Nye.
Rod, would you like to give us your parting shots? Uh, I, will. I will tell you that I have another book that I hope to be out uh, in the spring or early summer of 2022. Uh, the manuscript is done. I'm working on some rewrites and I'm going to be contacting my agent and um, maybe even going with the same publisher that published Killing Women. I will tell you uh, two things. It is another uh, Michigan-based true crime, and it is an unsolved cold case. That sounds intriguing. Uh, that's tempting. tempting. Yeah. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Yes, I think, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, so here are my parting shots. Buy indie, read indie, and write indie. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Enter the National Novel Writing Month in November because you too can become a published author. Thank you, Rod, for being here. Thank you, Emma. I really had a good time. Thank you.